You ever played that game that I call, would you rather be deaf or blind? I don't think that's its official name, but do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I, I can recount probably many times over my life having this debate. Would you rather be deaf or blind? Like, if you had to give up one of your senses, which sense would you give up? Have you ever had that conversation? Come on. Come on. You've had that conversation, right? I, is, is, it, is that a bit of a crass, kind of crude sort of game to play? Would you rather be deaf or would you rather be dumb? Like, because... For, I guess, us, uh, for most of us, I'm sure, maybe all of us here, it's a hypothetical question. Some people, they don't they get to choose, right? They just are stuck with, uh, with one of those things. But, I mean, I've pondered that, and you probably have too. Like, would I rather not be able to see the world or not be able to hear the world? And, and as I've kind of had those debates over the years, I think I'd rather be deaf if I had to pick. I think it'd be really hard not to see the world. World's incredible. Uh, for me, it's, it's a hypothetical question. Hopefully, will always be. What would you choose? Say it out loud. On the count of three. No, I'm kidding. Don't. Oh, you figured it out. You've learned how to game the system. <laughs> well, yeah, 2,000 years ago, yeah, the be- technolo- isn't technology great? Uh, we are blessed, right? Uh, it used to be like if, if you were born somewhere, like that was just it. Sorry, right? So, you know, there, there was this one guy who didn't get to decide. The Bible doesn't tell us his name. It just tells us that this man was born blind. And he was now a grown man. For many years, all he had known is blindness. He had never seen the world. And on this occasion, John tells us in his gospel, John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he recounts this story when Jesus and his disciples are walking along the way and they come across this blind beggar. And the disciples look at the man and they say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? In their mind, the only possible explanation is someone did something wrong, that's why this guy is blind. And Jesus said, well, nobody sinned, but this man was born blind so that the work of God may be displayed in him. And if you know the story, we're not really going to look at it, but if you know the story, God heals him. God gives him sight. How incredible would that be to never have seen the world and then all of a sudden your eyes are opened? Can you imagine like the joy And so Jesus heals this man, kind of sends him to go wash in the pool and present himself to his family, and word spreads, of course, of this miraculous healing, and it gets all the way to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they're not so impressed because it was this Jesus that had done this supposed healing, and they were not fans of Jesus. Jesus was someone who was challenging their authority and challenging kind of their, their, um, their way of relating to God. And so they hauled this man whose name we don't have, in front of their council to give an account, what happened to you? And so this man explains that this Jesus had healed him. And they kind of challenge him and say, well, how is that possible, this, this man, this Jesus? He's not from God. He's, a, he's wicked. And this blind man who can now see, he said, um, well, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. He had he opened my eyes. Now listen to this. We know that God does not listen to sinners. And I think the words will be up here. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. 
Let me read that again. These are the words of, of, of this, this formerly blind man. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. He doesn't listen to sinners. But I guess I read that and I go, well, do we know that? Like, he, he, he's kind of talking as if, well, that's just a given. God doesn't listen to sinners. Do we actually know that? That's kind of the question we're going to look at this morning. You, you know, if, if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, each week we've been taking one of the questions you've submitted, and we're going to the Bible to look for answers. You know, questions about God, the Christian life, the Christian faith, thing that you, things you find perplexing or maybe difficult. And so the question that somebody anonymously asked is, does God answer the prayer of unbelievers? Does He answer the prayer of unbelievers? Prayer is a, a complex thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it kind of, it's mystical. It's by its very nature, it's supernatural. You can't like put it in a test tube and subject it to the scientific method to figure out how prayer works. And so we have all sorts of questions about prayer. I mean, when we boil it down, prayer is just a very simple thing. Prayer, by its definition, is simply talking to God. That's what prayer is. You know, my kids, they will come to me from time to time to talk to me. Um, and, and for a variety of reasons, they'll come sometimes and they will just express their feelings, their emotions, right? Good or bad. They'll express their feelings. Sometimes they'll pour out their heart. Sometimes they'll come and they'll actually exp- express appreciation and thankfulness to me. Probably could happen more. It does. <coughs> um, sometimes, sometimes they'll come well, let's be often. Often, they'll come and they'll ask for things. Right? Dad, can you give me some money? I'm going to go to the friends. I'm going to go to the store. Can you give me some spending money? Uh, Dad, the chain fell off my bike. Can you come fix my bike? Right? So they'll come and they'll, th- these are things uh, my, my daughters will come and they will ask. And prayer is that, but to God, simply. Prayer is talking to God. It's doing all those things. It's coming to God and pouring out one's feelings, one's emotions, one's situation to God. Prayer is coming and expressing thanksgiving and praise to Him for who He is or what He has given. Prayer is coming to God and asking of Him for something. That's simply what prayer is. But, but beyond that, we know that prayer is kind of complex. We have all these questions. Does God listen to everybody's prayers? How do I know he'll listen to my prayer? So, so maybe that question that was posed, does God listen to the prayer of unbelievers? That might be kind of theoretical to you right now. You're like, well, I'm a believer. I, I know unbelievers. <coughs> Sorry, but I'm, but I'm a believer. So, I mean, that might be a hypothetical question, but that's not really what the guy said in the story in John 9, right? He didn't say, we know that God doesn't listen to unbelievers. It says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. Are you a sinner? Anyone? Anyone freely willing? Any, anyone here that used to sin but you stopped? You're done? You're good? Right? Here's the thing, right? We're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John says in 1 John, right? He who says he is without sin is a liar. So maybe we read that and, and maybe we ought to stop there and wonder, what does that mean? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners and that might trouble us a little bit because we are all Sinners. And maybe we have all wondered what happens when we pray. Because we don't, we, like, we, we, we see our half of it. We hear it. We send it up. But then when it gets past the clouds, so to speak, we don't really see what happens. 
you know, when he gets up to heaven, God, wherever he is, whatever that looks like, how does he receive that? What's his process? What does he do with that? How does he respond? Did he hear my prayer? Does he care? Is he favorable to my request? If I keep praying the same prayer over and over again and I don't get an answer, might God be angry with me and he's withholding the answer? Does God favor some people or some prayers over others? Maybe ultimately the question is, is there a connection between my moral standing today and the way that God receives and responds to my prayer? Is there? In other words, does God treat different people's prayers differently? That's kind of the question we're going to look at this morning is, does God treat different people's prayers differently? How does He respond to my prayer? The first thing that we have to say in answer to that question is what the Bible says over and over and over again, God does not show favoritism. It just says that. Romans chapter 2, James chapter 2, a few other places. God does not show favoritism. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 28. So in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. Neither, or sorry, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What that means is nobody has special access to God. Like God doesn't work like we work, right? Like sometimes we play favorites, don't we? Even if we try not to. You might have one of those, you might have a few kids and there's one that you just enjoy more than the others. You just get along better. Your personalities mesh. Maybe they have some common interests, right? But you might have another kid that kind of get on your nerves. Not you, Britta. You are my favorite. And I'm not saying that because you're the only one in the room right now. Oh, I see Annika up there. Forgive me. You two are my favorites. <laughs> Pippa, yeah. work in progress. Right? We, we can tend to like uh, be preferential or favorable to people for a variety of reasons. But what the Bible is clear is God is not like that. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, your, your social standing, your intellectual ability, the family origin, like for good or for bad, your family's name, what your, grand, your, what your granddaddy did, they built the church. You know what? That's great. That, that doesn't give you special access to God. And, and, you know, you came out of a life of sin. You did terrible things in your past, right, that you've reckoned with and you've repented of. That, that God does not hold that against you. Like nobody has special access to God. God does not show favoritism. But the Bible seems to suggest that God doesn't respond to every person's prayer the same. doesn't refer to every person's prayer favorably. Like, look what it says in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. I think the words will be up there. Isaiah 59, verse 1, "'Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save.'" nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear you. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, which is to say God is not limited in His power to do anything. He's unlimited in His power. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. His arm is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. Okay, 
Well, then what do you mean then in the next verse when it says, he will not hear? Do you see what he's saying? Like, his ear is not too dull to hear, and then in the next breath, he will not hear. So which is it? What's going on here? Well, we have to understand when he says in verse 1 that God's ear is not too dull to hear, what he's trying to say is just like God is all-powerful, not limited in his ability to do anything, so God is all-knowing. God hears every word that is uttered. Did you know that? God hears every word. And not only does God hear every word, God knows every thought. As David said in Psalm 139, before a word is on my lips, God, you know it completely. Or as Jesus said in that passage there about prayer, Matthew 6, verse 8, when Jesus says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows our every thought. He hears our every word. God is, the word for that, the big word is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So when it says in the next breath, he does not hear, what that doesn't mean is that there are some words that God just doesn't hear. He doesn't know about, right? There's another place in the Bible, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 31, when God says, I will remember their sins no more. And what that doesn't mean is you might come to God and say, hey, you remember when I did that stupid thing and, and you forgave? And, you, and God's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember. Like, that's not what that means, Right? It's not, he doesn't lack any knowledge. He knows everything. He hears everything. What it means when he says, I remember their sins no more is, I will not hold that against them. I will not take that into account. So when it says his ear is not too dull to hear, what that means is God hears every word we utter. He hears every prayer that's prayed to him. But then it goes on to say, that their sin, their iniquity has separated them from God so that he will not hear. He will not hear. What does that mean? He's saying there are situations where God will not listen to the prayers a person might pray. He will not be responsive. He will not be favorable. He will be like that father, right, whose kid comes and wants to talk, wants to ask, request, and daddy's got his newspaper, Right? Or scrolling through his phone. And you ever said this? You ever said this, parent? I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Right? I told you to clean the kitchen. You didn't clean the kitchen. And now you're coming and you're wanting this and that. I'm not listening. There are times, the Bible tells us, where God will not be responsible or favorable to prayers that are prayed for him. And, and, and we have instances like this throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And it's really worth pondering if we will be people to pray, to know like, why? Because the thought that we might pray and God may not listen is not a happy thought. Why might God not be attentive to our prayers or listen or hear or be favorable to our requests. Well, as I look through the Scriptures, I, I kind of boiled it down to three different reasons that we need to be mindful of. God will not hear, we're told, if we pray with selfish motives. It's possible to pray with selfish motives. Listen, listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, 
but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So here were people, they were asking, and God was not listening. God was not answering. Why? Because Not because the thing they were asking for was in and of itself wrong, but they were asking for wrong motives, right? Selfish motives, so they could indulge their selfish nature. And it's possible to pray with selfish motives, right? We might ask God for that job. God, could you give me that job, that, that, that next kind of step up? Why? Why do we want the job? Is it so that we can have a certain title that makes us look important and feel important to those around us? Because we go, ooh, you're what? Ooh. Or, 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 or maybe it brings greater... Income that makes me feel like I can protect myself and be secure in my own possessions and build that up instead of finding my security in God? Could that be why? Or, or, or a young person might pray, God, would you help me like, pass that test or get an A on that test? And why might we pray that? Might, m- might that come from a desire to want to be the top, be the best, be seen to be the best? Or we might pray, God, would you, like, would you like, help my kids like, get, get a job or, or like, get them out of some sort of trouble? Or bless them in some sort of way. I mean, that, that's a great prayer, but, but might we sometimes pray that prayer if we're honest, being like, I don't want my kids to embarrass me and reflect poorly on me. Like, we're not necessarily thinking about their well-being. They're thinking about how they, maybe how they reflect on mommy or daddy. I want my kid to be an embarrassment to me. Or, or maybe as a pastor in the church, God, would you bless New Life Church? Would you help us grow? Could that be because... In the pastor's heart, there's a part of that's like, he wants, to, he wants to have that church, you know, where other people be like, oh, that church? You're, yeah, that church. Oh, I hear God think, yeah. Could that come from a place of selfish motivation? Prayer can become self-promotion, right? That's what Jesus was saying. That's, that was his critique of the Pharisees, right? Back in Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, don't pray like the Pharisees, those hypocrites. They love to stand on the street corner and use eloquent language. And why? For selfish reasons. It was all about self-promotion. So Jesus says, don't pray like that. Pray in secret. Go into a door all by yourself, you and God, your prayer closet, shut the door where no one can see, no one can hear and pray. Now, if you, if you think that what Jesus is saying there is we should never pray together, like what we're doing here is wrong, Jesus says in Matthew 6, you're supposed to pray alone. You would misunderstand what he's saying there, right? What he's trying to say is don't pray with selfish motives. God does not want to foster selfishness or sin in our life. He does not want us to come to Him like we're, He's a genie in a bottle who just is there to fulfill our wishes. And so the Bible says if we are to, sometimes we, we don't have because we asked with the wrong motives. If we pray with selfish motives, God may not hear. Secondly, the Bible says God may not hear if we are mistreating other people. And it shows us again and again that our horizontal relationship, relationships affect our vertical relationship. Proverbs 21, verse 13, it says, You've neglected the cries of the poor, so now when you cry out, no one will listen. God will not listen. God says this in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15. 
verses 15 through 17, he says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening, for your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. He's saying there, I'm not listening to you because of the way that you are treating people around you. You're mistreating people, and so I will not listen. And bring that a little closer to home, like figuratively and literally. Now, men, listen to these words. This has given me pause on more than one occasion. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. You hear that, men? Husbands? Like God responds to your prayer, like how God responds to your prayers depends on how you treat your wife. Now, I don't know if it needs to be like clarified there, but when it calls the wife or the woman the weaker partner, it's not talking about like, like being lesser in capability or character, competence, anything like that. It's just talking about, you know, in almost every instance, the man has superior strength to impose his will on the woman. I mean, there's a rare case out there, right, where she's a bodybuilder. Remember growing up in a church, my home church in Nanton? We had the Alberta Women's Bodybuilding Champion. She was ripped. She would just take her husband and spin him like this. But what is it like to be that guy? But, that's, but what he's saying here is, is the man has, in almost every instance, he has the physical power and in that time the legal power to impose his will on his wife. And he says, if you do that, if you do not treat your wife with kindness and respect and being considerate, God will not listen to your prayers. He will not respond to you favorably. The way you treat others has some bearing on the way God responds to you in your prayers. And that's, I think, Jesus makes it very clear, right? When he teaches us to pray, he says, we are to pray, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then he'll go on to say, now this is kind of one of those perplexing verses that maybe you've read it, and how does this square with the gospel? In verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And and what he's saying there is, your horizontal relationships affect your vertical relationship. If you're, tre- if you're mistreating the weaker and then you come to God as the weaker and He the stronger and want something from Him, why should, God give, why should God treat you well, be favorable towards you if you are mistreating others? So that's another reason over and over again. God will not listen if we are mistreating others. And, and thirdly, It tells us that God will not hear, God may not hear our prayers if we remain in sin and hypocrisy. Back to Isaiah 59 verse 2, it said that your iniquity has separated you from God so that He will not hear. That word iniquity there, it's, um, it doesn't mean kind of, oh, I messed up once, oh, shoot, it's kind of a momentary, one-off sort of thing. It talks, iniquity represents a willful, ongoing pattern of sin in your life, kind of a willful defiance of the Word and the will of God in your life, something that you're willfully persisting in. 
David would say in Psalm 66, if I would have cherished sin, you would not have uh, you would not have heard me, God, if I would have tended, if I would have nurtured my sin. And so Jesus says, God says, that if we are living lives of hypocrisy, that is, lives where our lips and our lives are saying something different, we are saying something to God, we desire God or something from Him, but something else in our, li- our, our, our life is saying something very different, there is this dissonance between our lives and our lips, and God says, I will not hear you when your prayers and your priorities are not aligned, when you acknowledge God with your, with your prayers but not with your life. So God may not hear if we choose to persist in sin and hypocrisy. So when you hear all of that, what you have to understand is that Prayer in and of itself is not what pleases God, right? Like it's the heart of prayer. It's how and why someone comes to God that is important. So what does that mean for us? The first thing it means is that we have to pray. Like Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And I know sometimes we've wondered, does prayer really make a difference? God is sovereign over all things. He's going he's to, we always talk about his plan. Nothing can thwart his plan. He's going to unfold his plan. Does prayer really make a difference? Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and, and do I know how that all works? How God takes our prayers and works that out to bring about his will in my life in the world? I don't know how God does all of that completely. What the Bible, what Jesus says, what the Bible says is you have not because you ask not. Which is an invitation To pray, to pray, prayer makes a difference. So don't think that prayer doesn't matter. Prayer matters. And also don't think that we can only pray about big things. You know, I think sometimes, you know, God's got bigger things to worry about in the world. There's Ukraine, you know, there's famine over there. Like, does God really care about the the small things, the small cares in life? does he? I know sometimes that holds me back. I, like sometimes I don't even think to pray about the small things because in my mind I've just had it made up that God is just interested in big things. But the great thing about God is that God is big enough, he knows enough, he's powerful enough to care about the biggest cares and the smallest cares at the same time. You have not because you ask not. God kind of taught me this lesson a few years ago, I think maybe I've shared this story before, but a couple years ago, my daughters really wanted a puppy, and so they were praying, God, give us a puppy. Every night after I took them into bed and I would pray, they would begin adding, and God, give us a puppy. And I said, ha, 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 never going to happen. I said, God said no. I lied. He, he didn't tell me. God didn't say he said no, but I just assumed the answer was no. Why would he give you a puppy? I don't want a puppy. But they kept praying, God, give me a puppy. And then, and then, you know, we drive to school, and I'd always pray with them before I dropped them off at school, and they would always end, and God, give me a puppy. And, ah, whatever, it was kind of cute, but whatever. And then after, after a couple of months of that, I got a call from someone to come, this, this woman, to come visit her. So I'm, ha- I'm, at, I'm in her living room having a conversation, and then I hear some tripping little puppies in the corner, and I said, oh, you have some puppies? And she said, yeah, that, that's actually why I called you here. She said... And I was praying that this, this litter would be a litter of five puppies. She said, I've never had a litter of five puppies before. And I prayed for five, and God gave me five. And then this is, this is a, a real prayerful woman, woman who like journals her prayers. She said, you know, I, 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 Rusty, I was praying. I um, was thanking God for these five puppies. 
And, and I just very clearly felt him say, I gave you five, but I want you to give one to a family who wants a puppy. I want you to give a puppy to the Hildebrand family. And I said, he didn't say that. <laughs> who paid you? Who paid you? And she's like, and I sat there, I'm like, I looked up to God, I'm like, overruled. Thanks a lot. Kind of painted me into a quarter. What do you say to that? No. No, God, no. So we have a puppy. And uh, that was a lesson for, for me, my girls too, like, God wants to give us delightful things. God cares about our cares, big cares and small cares. Now, God doesn't want us to get selfish because the, the next thing was, we should pray for a pony. And I said, no, that would be taking it a step too far. Now you're treating God like the genie, right, in the bottle. Not selfish prayers, but cares. Prayer makes a difference. So I think the first thing that we need to hear is, is we need to be people who pray. I need to be a person who's better at prayer. It doesn't come naturally to me in my human nature. I need to talk to God more. I need to ask more of God. I need, I need to be quicker to come because Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Pray. But when we pray, I guess maybe the point here also is, it is important how we pray and why we pray, right? Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, which means there's a way not to pray rightly. There's a way to pray wrongly, and there's a way to pray rightly, which is why we need to be taught by Jesus how to pray. So how are we ought to, to, to pray? This is important because I think sometimes we just rush into prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself halfway through a prayer, and then you have this realization that you haven't thought of God once. You are going through the motions. I do it all the time. You know, it's, it's prayer at the supper table. I'm tucking the kids into the bed. Pastor, would you pray? Yep. And halfway through, I'm like, I'm not even praying. Like, if, if I could just realize before I go into prayer how incredible this is and, and how serious this is, that I would come into the presence of the one who made the universe and ask It's something that should be done not carelessly, not thoughtlessly, but thoughtfully and carefully. And so given how we've seen what the Bible says about prayers that are not favorable to God, how then ought we to pray? Can I just suggest three ways then that we ought to pray or things we need to do before we pray maybe? The first thing is this, check your motives. And you know, church, I really think being, going to prayer is, is it's the, prayer is the best opportunity to assess your heart. It's, it's, it's probably just the best time where, where, you're, where you should be kind of thoughtful and forced to like assess your heart. So three things to check, and this is going to be your homework for this week. Check your motives before you pray. Ask yourself, why am I asking for this? Is my motive in asking for this, does it honor God? Does it kind of reflect the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Why am I asking for this? Are these requests, maybe not in and of themselves, they're all fine, but do, but do they come from selfish motives? A desire for security in earthly things and not in God? For joy in earthly things and not in God? Right? For prestige and prominence amongst men and not with God? Check your motives 
And the second thing is check your relationships. If it's true that, that God can turn a, a, His ear away from our prayers because of how, if we mistreat others, then we should, when we come to, to prayer, it's an opportunity to check our relationships. Are they right? Have I, been, have I been mistreating somebody? This is essentially what Jesus said, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So he's using, obviously, what they knew as Jews, right? You go to the temple, you give a sacrifice, maybe to atone for your sin, or a thank offering to God, or to ask something of God. And so, to, to bring an offering was the act of prayer, right? To come before God and express oneself and to ask. And so, and so Jesus is saying, if you're going to come to God and pray, and you realize that, that somebody has something against you, which is to say you have wronged somebody, you have mistreated somebody, and you have not made that right, then stop. Go make a phone call. Have a conversation. Do what you need to do, and then come back. And make that offering because God will receive it differently. It will be one that honors Him, that He may be pleased to bless. So when we come to pray, it's a great opportunity to check your relationships and ask yourself the question, how am I treating others? After all, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against us. Can I pray that? Lord, treat me the way I'm treating others. So check your relationships. How am I treating others? And the third thing to check as you come into prayer is to check your priorities. And ask yourself the question, does my life align with God's will? Like, I, I'm going to say something to God. If, if God were to look at my life, would He see that, 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 that my life is aligned with His will, that, that, that that's my desire? Or will there be hypocrisy? Is there dissonance? Is there, are there sinful, willful, ongoing, persistent patterns in my life that I'm not addressing? David, at the end of that famous psalm, Psalm 139, this is what he did, right? He closes his prayer by saying, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what he's doing. He's checking his priorities. God, see if there's any offensive way in me, any sin, any iniquity, so that I can deal with it, so that nothing will come between me and you and my prayers. Check your priorities. Am I doing, is my life aligned with the will of God? And that question kind of helps us understand it under, helps us understand the words of Jesus about praying to Him that sometimes can be really misunderstood, misused, like this. John 14, when Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the things I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You ever heard that claimed? You can ask me for anything in my name. Didn't God say that if I just had enough faith and if I just asked enough, He's going to give, right? I've seen guys on TV talking like that. He has a nice, he has an expensive watch. A million-dollar watch. He prayed for it, and God gave it to him because he had enough faith. 
And everyone gets up and, and claps and cheers in the church. Oh, and I'm thinking, you suckers, you're the one that bought him the watch. But didn't he say, you can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it? When you close your prayer, do you, do you pray in Jesus' name? What do those words mean to you when you pray in Jesus' name? Because that's what he's saying, when you pray anything in my name. It doesn't mean we just say a word and somehow it makes it a Christian prayer or it sanctions it. It's a way of saying, God, I'm praying in alignment with the character and the work of Jesus. Isn't that what he said before? You're going to do the works that I've been doing and even greater works? And he keeps reiterating it a few verses later. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A few verses later, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. In my name, in my name, in my name, when I pray in Jesus' name, what, 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 that's supposed to remind me that my prayer and my life is, to, is, is supposed to align with His that my life is supposed to be conforming to the person, to the character, to the work of Jesus Christ. And so I guess the most important question, does God answer the prayer of, of, of unbelievers? It, it's less, are you a believer? Are you an unbeliever? It's more like, are you seeking God truly? Are you seeking God? Are you seeking the will of God you know, maybe it's not that God gives godly people what they want, so much as godly people ask God for what He wants. Was that you, Doris? Thank you. I'll take that amen. And I'll say it again. Because I think it's important. Maybe it's not that God gives godly people what they want so much as godly people ask God for what He wants. Things that God wants to give, to bless, because they align with His work. They align with His priorities. They align with His character, His will. So can I give you a job? So this week, I want you to pray. Why don't you pray every day? Maybe you already do. Maybe you want to pray 10, at least 10 minutes a day. Talk to God. Express your feelings, your emotions. Express your appreciation, your thanksgiving, your praise to Him. Bring your requests, your petitions, your needs to Him. Do that, but then can I ask you to do something each day of this week? Before you pray, can you take some time to check those three things? I, I think if, if before we rushed into prayer, we, we, we took that opportunity to check our motives to check our relationships, and to check our priorities, we would find that we pray prayers that God is pleased to bless. So that's your job this week, okay? That's the homework. Pray each day, and before you do, check your motives. Why am I asking for this? Check your relationships. How am I treating others? And check your priorities. Is my life aligned with God's will? Okay. I could end right there, but you know I don't end on time. But I just want to say one more thing. 
because I feel like if, if, if that's all I said, it could sound like you be good and then God will give you good. Okay, be good enough, you know, in your life and then God will be favorable. He'll give you goodness. And I don't want you to hear that, that we do and then God responds to us. You know what no one asked God to do ever? Like, you know, no one ever prayed? No one ever prayed a prayer like this. Hey, God, listen, like, I am, my life is mired in sin. I'm, I'm kind of gripped by the power of these bad habits. Can't get out of it. I'm living this hopeless, aimless, purposeless life. I'm scared of what's going to happen after I die. I'm afraid. Hey, God up there, like God the Father, you know that whole Trinity thing? Could you ask God the Son? Could you ask Him if He would be willing to, um, to, to become uh, an embryo that would be implanted in a woman's womb and that he would be born fully human and he would grow up seemingly a normal person living all the trials and tribulations and temptations of human existence. Could you do that, God? So that, so that in doing that and in teaching us and showing us who you truly are and what your will truly is, God, so that he could go to the cross and that he could die on that cross to pay my debt, to pay what I couldn't pay to you, God, what I owe you so that I could be forgiven and so that he could rise from the dead and, and, and I could, he could make a way for me to be in relationship with you, God, forever and to have eternal life. Could you do that? Like nobody ever asked God to do that. What no mind can conceive, these are the things that God has prepared for His people. God came to us first. That's what this means, okay? We're going to take communion here in a moment. If, if you didn't get one on your way in and you want one, if you just lift your hand, they'll get you one. This bread we're about to eat and this cup we're about to drink remind us of this incredible reality that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God came to us first. Or this is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1 verses 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God was pleased, not because we were requested, right? Because what did it say? We were enemies in our minds. We were living in evil behavior. He wasn't pleased because we asked him, and so he responded to us, right? He was pleased because this was, this was his desire, right? This was his idea. God came to us first, and in his son, he paid for all of our sin and he made a way for us to be reconciled to God and have life eternal with him so that all we had to do was just to come and to ask, right? 
So, so the gospel is, is God sending his son and then saying, all you have to do is ask. Okay, isn't this, the, this is the good news. We don't have to be good for God so that he's good for us. It's like, we just have to receive what he has done, what he offers. Jesus says, ask. Ask and it will be given to you, right? Ask me to forgive you and I will. Ask me to save you and I will. Ask me to give you life and I will. Right? I will make you new. So does God answer the prayer of unbelievers, of sinners? Well, I guess the simple answer is God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants, right? He can answer whatever prayer he wants. But we know this, that um, God will always answer the prayer of repentance. He will always answer the prayer of repentance. I don't know, maybe there's someone here this morning. Um, that's a prayer that you need to pray. Maybe your life has not been aligned with the will of God. You've been going your own way, doing your own thing. And maybe it hasn't work, been working too well for you, but God calls you and invites you to receive this greatest of gifts, this new life, this forgiveness, this eternal life that he wants to give you because he loves you, that we receive simply by repenting of our sins and putting our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's what this means. God has done all the work for us. All we have to do is receive repentance and faith in his son. And if we have done that, we can live with this great confidence, right? As Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with giving us his son graciously give us all things? If he's given us his son, the thing of highest worth, is he going to withhold anything good that you need to do his will? No. No, he won't. So we can come to him confident that he will give us all that we need to do his good and perfect will. So as we take this bread, can I invite you to uh, take a moment in prayer, just you and God in the quietness of your own heart. Take a moment and just thank God for sending his son. Thank God for his love for you, which has made a way, made a way to forgiveness and made a way to new and eternal life. Take a moment to thank him. Just be reminded of all he has done. the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you because I love you. Remember me every time you eat of it together. Let's eat. You can take that wrapper off your cup. Uh, maybe this is the last month we're doing it this way. This cup represents the blood of Jesus spilled for you to win for you forgiveness and new life, to win for you the favor of God received by faith. 
So before we drink it together, why don't you take a moment and just commit or recommit yourself to God. Say, God, I want to do your will in every area of my life. God, I commit myself. I surrender myself to you again fully to do your will. Maybe God has already brought something to your mind, some way in which your life is not in alignment with his will. Maybe you want to take this opportunity to to repent of that. To ask for God's help. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sin because I love you. Remember me and remember that every time you drink of it together. Let's drink. Would you stand with me as I pray and before we close with one final song of worship? Father, we do thank you. We are a thankful people. Lord, as we are reminded of the greatness of your love for us expressed in your son, Jesus, that while we're just going through life, living in sin, enemies in our mind, doing our own thing without regard for you, um, you looked at us undeserving of you and you loved us. And your son was willing to come and lay down his life to bring us back to you, bring us back to the life that we were created by you to have, the good life, the eternal life. We just thank you, God, that you've done it all. We don't merit it. We don't deserve it. You've done it for us through your son, and you freely offer us that life through faith. God, we we thank you that you are that sort of God. And now as we are about to go from this place back into our lives. We want to go as people who are on mission, people who are doing your will, people who are loving you with their whole lives, people who are loving others as we love ourselves. Um, God, may you just use us to bring yourself great glory. May you be blessed by us. In Jesus' name, amen.